According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are going to wrap up Proverbs 15 today. If I have to keep you here till midnight, I think we'll get there. We're looking at verses 25 through 33, and we're really... um, we're really looking at verses 30, 31, 32, 33. So yeah, we should be able to wrap this up here today, talking about good news and the positive volition to the Word of God and choices that we make. If we're hungry for teaching, we will make the choices to provide for teaching. If we're not hungry for teaching, then we make other priorities. And uh, we make those decisions, we face the consequences, and uh, God deals with us based upon where our priorities are, based upon where they should be. And so that's what we're dealing with here. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word and the blessings that uh, You just keep pouring forth upon us, Father. We already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then on top of that, you pour forth earthly blessings to us day by day, moment by moment. And this morning, Father, we have the blessing of, of one another's fellowship and the, the uh, ministry of the Word of God as it goes forth. And so, Father, we just embrace every blessing you pour forth and we acknowledge you and your glory that uh, apart from your grace, none of this would even be possible. So, Father, open the eyes of our understanding and feed us from your truth this morning. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, yeah, and the Word of God goes forth. It's never, it's always unfiltered, <laughs> and it's always pure. All right, so we are in all the subpoints of main point 19. And I've, I've noticed going back through uh, all the previous chapters we've done, I tend to get, I don't know if I get bored with a chapter or whatever happens, but we get towards the end of a chapter, and I say, all right, let's get to the next one, and then so we kind of summarize the, the final verses, the closing verses, and uh, that's tended to become a habit with me now. And, and so uh, in any event, this is what we're looking at here, verses 25 through 33. And these are a uh, series of maxims on the blessings of humble community, and they do seem to be all contextually uh, included within the realm of a home or, or a, a, a in, in the Old Testament, then you would deal with families and clans and, and tribal allotments, but Nevertheless, starting in verse 25, we have the home referenced in terms of the Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but He will establish the boundary of the widow. And then starting with there in in many, if not all of these subsequent verses, then we have uh, houses like in verse 27, he who uh, profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And then even when we have verses that don't necessarily mention the house, we still have activity that very commonly occurs within a house, within a home, within a family. Activities such as encouraging one another as a family and uh, brightening the eyes and praying together in uh, in the aspects here. And so in all these subpoints, I think we've dealt with it. Um, also, I think we have... Um, yeah, other other indicators in the in the text as well that that really I think pinpoint the family context for how these things are coming together. So we talked about subpoint A, how home building endeavors must include the Lord, obviously, 
unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And if you're trying to build something and God's tearing it down, that's a clue that you're out of His will, that He is disciplining you for what you're doing and, uh, and the aspects there. Our greatest privileges from God include planning and communicating. So perversions of these grace, great blessings are among the most severe abominations. And uh, if you think about it too, these are also family functions, household functions in terms of planning and communicating. But in verse 26 and verse 28, evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And so uh, what kind of planning goes on in a household? What kind of communication goes on in a household? And those questions uh, need to be answered. Under point C, the wages of unrighteousness are costly to the soul. This is verse 27, uh, related back to some things we looked at in chapter 1, and then uh, the expression in 2 Peter 2 that talks about the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, But here it is in verse 27, he who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And so we had the principles there. Point D, sin creates an obstacle for our prayer life. And uh, which not only do we see it here in verse 29, but we have it many places throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, the, uh, the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. So if He's not hearing your prayers, uh, that's not on Him, that's on you. He can hear, uh, but if you're carnal, He won't hear. And that's the issue. If there's a distance there as well, if, there's, if, if it seemed like the Lord used to be closer, well, He's not the one that moved. You're the one that moved because He is the unchanging, eternal, immutable, righteous, and holy God. And so if He's far from the wicked, that means you have ventured forth out of His will and, uh, and need to return because He does. He hears the prayers of the righteous. And uh, won't review all the scriptures we've looked at before. If you missed the classes, I encourage you to get the, the recent MP3s. But Psalm 66, I think, is clear. And uh, Isaiah 1 has a lot of name calling and uh, gets, gets your attention on that. For church age Melchizedek priests, it is even more vital. I think carnality has always been an issue for believers ever since Adam. But in particular, I think church age carnality is so much more dire than, than Israel's carnality in the sense that we are a heavenly people and we operate in the heavenly places. And so yes, if a, if a Jewish believer in the Old Testament was out of fellowship, then sure, it impacted his prayer life, it had other consequences, but he was not positionally at the right hand of God the Father. He was not positionally trampling the heavenly courts. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's what we do. That's what we are in our carnality and in our darkness, which is why the warnings in Hebrews are so dire when you're trampling the courts. And so uh, we'll deal with that as we get further into, uh, into the book of Hebrews. Last week we were talking about bright eyes. The light of the eyes references the enlightenment of Scripture and the resulting encouragement from the good news of Scripture. And uh, really from verse 30 here, bright eyes gladden the heart, good news puts fat on the bones. And so this is light that's not externally shining, it's internally shining. The light of the eyes is when our eyes are fixed on Jesus or on the Word of God and we are absorbing this good news. We're learning through uh, what we're reading, through what we're studying. And so it is beneficial to the body. Spiritual health uh, promotes physical health, see. And, And we're clear on that. Not as an absolute issue or a faith healing basis or telling somebody that if you just 
you know, do 10 more Bible studies and your cancer will go away. <laughs> we understand, though, the positive effects of abiding in the Word of God, as it says here. And, and elsewhere, uh, from uh, Psalm 119, the, the Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, that there's consequences in temporal life for how we live if we're living in the Word of God. Anyway, other such passages as well. Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. We have spiritual eyes and uh, the blessings there. So not only do we have eyes, we have ears. And that gets us to where we ran out of time last week. The ears in verse 31. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And so this is why I say I think it's not only... You know, we can talk about eyes and ears in any context, in any application. But again, dwelling. Where do you dwell? We have language of family. We have language of home. We have language of, of, uh, of humble community, which is what I gave as a title for the, the heading on this passage. Uh, where do you dwell and, and who do you dwell with in, in terms of that? So uh, these are the choices that we make. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof. In other words, you choose to listen to this. You choose to be positive to the Word of God as it goes forth. And reproofs aren't, uh, aren't easy. They're not pleasant. Sometimes they're rather convicting. But you choose to listen to them because you know they're life-giving. You know that they sustain your soul. They know that when you respond to the reproof from the Word of God, you're better for it. And so it shapes the choices you make in where you're going to live and where you're going to reside and where you're going to sojourn. And uh, two different terms for this. Uh, Eagerness to hear God's wisdom generates divine guidance as to both dwelling and lodging arrangements. Those are separate issues. I think I could even expand this slide to put a third Hebrew word in there because there's a word for dwelling, there's a word for lodging, there's also a word for sojourning. When you're temporarily in a place you don't belong, but you're going to get back to where you do belong as soon as you can, that's called a sojourn. But uh, the verses that I selected, for, for this point anyway, uh, really center on two primary Hebrew words, and one for a, a permanent living arrangement, like where you reside when you fill out a, a change of address form at the post office. It's, it's going to be a permanent dwelling for, for a lengthy period of time. And then lodging. Lodging refers to, say, like a hotel stay, refers to a vacation, refers to a, a short, not even shorter than a sojourn. You know, a sojourn could be longer than, uh, than you expect. But in a dwelling arrangement or a lodging arrangement, either way, you're choosing where you live, where you reside, where you, the kind of places you go based upon the availability of the Word of God. Eagerness to hear God's wisdom. And so, uh, I think it's it. Kind of, these verses kind of spell themselves out and make it clear. If uh, if if you have a priority for doctrine to feed your soul and to grow, then you know when when opportunities come up to maybe get a promotion or move to a different town or move wherever for whatever reason, if there's no Bible church there, if there's no teaching there, does that affect your decision making? Does that do you just say, oh well, um, I'll I'll just tape it. I'll just you know. I'll survive on MP3s or I'll just, uh, there's other ways. There's other ways to get the information. But the fellowship, the accountability to a shepherd, the exercise of your giftedness to the contribution of the saints to be fully engaged in the lampstand. You know, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the local churches. And that's a, that's a command. You're uh, allotted to the charge of a shepherd. 
And if you're, if you're in defiance of that, there's consequences. So uh, these are the things that, that I want to really highlight here this morning. And then we'll move on to, to G and H as it uh, will conclude the chapter then. So I know we, um, we started this, we saw the aspect of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 13. And uh, when it came time to separate, uh, Abraham gave Lot the first choice. And what did he pick? Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> you know, hey, I want to go live there. Really? Is that where the good doctrine is? I, I, you know, I wasn't clear on that. Why, why are you living there? And um, anyway, I, I speculate that had, uh, had he made the opposite choice, had he chosen for the whole country of Judah, and Abraham had gone to the valley, he said he would. He said that he would take the direction Lot didn't take. So it's conceivable that Abraham could have ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah and could have been a preacher of repentance for him. Jesus said that it was possible they could have repented in uh, different things there. So who knows how these things would unfold in the plan of God. Exodus 2.21 is another example of this. And uh, we looked at that and then I think we ran out of time before we can get to the ones in the Psalms. So um, Exodus 2, of course, is uh, Moses. And, uh, and he's moving for terrible reasons. You know, I mean, there's, there's reasons to leave town, uh, but, you know, committing murder and running from uh, <laughs> the authorities is uh, among the, the worst ones I can think of. And, and yet, when he gets to Midian, not only is he safe from the, the retribution of Pharaoh, but God, because he's a God of grace, provides more than just safety from the revenge of Pharaoh. He provides Jethro. He provides a father-in-law, the priest of Midian, who has uh, doctrinal teaching and ready to go, and probably where Moses received the book of, uh, of Job, I'm convinced. So uh, in any event, uh, look at Exodus 2 and see God's grace in action that Moses was willing to dwell with uh, the priest of Midian. And that's uh, to me, that's significant. All right, Psalm 23, 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? We know this. We know... Um, we know the verse, we sing the hymns, but the, uh, the concept of abiding in the Word of God, remember uh, Solomon is the one who uh, built the temple, David was not allowed to build the temple, so what's he talking about? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is no house of the Lord. There's a ratty old tent, David was embarrassed by how shabby it looked and his own palace was looking so great, he wanted to build a temple and uh, God said, no, you're not going to build the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. Well, if you have the doctrinal capacity to recognize that the tabernacle is just a reflection, a shadow of the heavenly reality, then you can have the spiritual perspective to say, look, I'm going to live in the Word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to dwell as I live in the Word of God. I'm dwelling in, in uh, the house of the Lord. And uh, we get to do that forever. So uh, surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness, chesed, will follow me all the days of my life. But don't stop there. What happens when your life is over? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the blessings we have of fellowship in the Word and growth and occupation with Christ uh, go beyond this life. And David understood that. So why would you move to a town or go to a location where you can't fellowship with the saints and live in the Word of God? Psalm 27.4, another Davidic psalm. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. And David's able to do that, even though there's no physical temple to go to, he's able to do this in his soul as he occupies with the Word of God. How much of the Bible was written when David was alive? You know, by the time he got done writing half the book of Psalms, you ever think about that? I mean, he had the five book of Moses, what else was there? You know, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, okay. So how much of your Bible is Genesis through Ruth? And then David comes along and writes half of the Psalms. Wow. Okay. At least. Maybe more. 75 of the, of the 150. And uh, there's some anonymous Psalms and maybe David has some of those as well. Uh, but it's, it's curious to me that by the end of David's life uh, a significant percentage of the canon of Scripture was written through him. <laughs> okay. So you talk about a guy that was dwelling in the house of the Lord. A guy that was occupied with the Word of God in, uh, in terms of Torah and uh, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. That's, uh, that's interesting to me. I do believe that Samuel wrote uh, Joshua and Judges, uh, prob- maybe even Ruth, I don't know. Um, in any event, they would have been around during David's lifetime and he would have had access to them clearly. So Psalm 27.4. How about Psalm 84 84.4. Psalm 84, 4. Verse 1 says, uh, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! Uh, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird uh, also has found a house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Uh, Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And uh, even further down in the same song, I love verse 10, uh, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, it'd be better just sitting on the the front porch if, if, uh, (laughs) if you can't go inside for whatever reason. So this is what we're talking about, dwelling in the Word of God. And that's, uh, that's the privilege. Psalm 91, 1. It's likely that 90 and 91 were originally a single psalm that ended up getting split later, uh, in which case uh, David had access to these also since... Uh, Psalm 90 at least is Mosaic and possibly Psalm 91 as well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So dwelling in the Word of God. Eagerness to hear God's wisdom generates divine guidance as to both dwelling and lodging. So where we live, we want to live Physically, we want to physically live in a place where we can spiritually live in the Word of God. Are we clear on this? All right, I just want to make sure that we can be living in the Word of God. And that's the, that's the issue. So we make the physical arrangements accordingly. Now the specifics on the physical arrangements, does it really matter? Is it, uh, you know, if, if, we're, if we have a, an apartment or a house or, a, or an RV or a tent or, or whatever, I mean, if, if those arrangements... Are, 
Does that make a difference? So long as I'm in the proximity to the saints and the proximity to the teaching and say, well, the Lord has planted a lampstand here. How far do you want to commute? <laughs> you know, if this is your flock, if this is where you belong, if this is where you have been assigned, you understand. All the rest of it is just details, you know, as far as a house or apartment or condo or, or RV or tent or whatever else the case may be. So that's Psalm 91. Psalm 101. So um, verse 7 is really the key verse on this, but um, I like the whole psalm. I will sing of the loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk with my house in the integrity of my heart. So these are, these are family matters. These are household matters. These are matters for not only me to express my faith, but for my wife and my children and my servants and, and all the rest. And when will you come to me? Uh, I might even think this is kind of like similar, comparable to uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That the Lord wants to come in and fellowship. The Lord wants to come in and, and dine and, and have fellowship. And here's, uh, here's David thinking, yeah, this is, this is an opportunity for fellowship. And when, uh, when can we do this? How soon can we do this? How often can we do this? And uh, if your home is the home where the Word of God is honored, then I expect that these invitations uh, happen quite frequently and that there's, there's true feasting with the Lord on this basis. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall, it shall not fasten its grip on me. The influence of those who aren't hungry for doctrine the influence of those that are off doing worldly stuff and, and uh, it, it rubs off. You don't want any part of that. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. <clears throat> no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. <clears throat> now these are all opinions of what David is expressing. They're also prophetic for what Jesus will apply when he is king in, in the millennium. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. So this, this again, this, this relates perfectly to what we're looking at in Proverbs 15, whereby you choose where you live, who you associate with, what you accept and don't accept, what you tolerate in your home. Uh, so the faithful of the land, they will dwell with me. That's who I'm going to dwell with. That's what I'm going to fellowship with. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. So who do you hire if you're king? Who do you, uh, who do you uh, put on staff if you're a business owner? Who do you, uh, uh, I got a job as company clerk because my first sergeant said, uh, he said, I like to surround myself with believers. He was a pretty new believer himself. He'd only been saved about, I guess, three months, four months. He was really new in his faith. He was really excited about anything related to the Bible. And then uh, he found out that I was going to be a pastor someday. I was thinking about going to seminary when I got out of the army. <clears throat> he said, wow, do you want a job? <laughs> he said, I need a driver. I need a company clerk. Can you type? And when he found out I could type 105 words a minute, he said, <clears throat> you're hired. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> All right. 
This is the Lord's way of saying, get back on message. Stay in the Scripture. Quit with those army stories. <clears throat> All right. Back to Psalm 101. We haven't hit verse 7 yet. <clears throat> he who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Imagine a president who said, if I have a cabinet member that lies to the media, or if I have a, if I have a, ca- a secretary of something and they're deceitful, they're gone. There will be no uh, lies in my administration. He who practices deceit shall not dwell in my house. You know, does, does a family put up with it if, if, uh, if a child is lying all the time? Does a, does a wife put up with it when her husband's lying all the time? Or does a w- husband, what do you do when your wife can't tell the truth? And you've got to shepherd her. You've got to be her spiritual leader. Is, is your household a household of truth or is it a household of lies? Because the lies are serving Satan, the, the liar and the father of lies. The truth serves Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's why this is so serious. So are you eager to hear the truth? Why would you surround yourself with a bunch of liars? Verse 8, every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. See, I believe this is prophetic of Jesus Christ to the millennial kingdom. Maybe David, maybe David did some of this in his day, I don't know. Uh, but clearly, this is a prophecy. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Jesus Christ reigns with a rod of iron. This is a brutal verse. He reigns with a rod of iron. And so when the sun comes up in Jerusalem and there's an unbeliever in his city, <laughs> this, is, this is what's promised. He will personally execute them. That's why if an unbeliever visits Jerusalem during the millennium, I recommend you get saved that day. You don't spend the night. (laughs) All right? Go home before the sun sets. Don't be found in the city when the sun comes up. This is a promise. Now kings are going to be required to come once a year to bring their tribute. I hope they're saved. Or they don't spend the night. Or they leave town before the sun comes up. Because this is what Jesus has promised in the millennial kingdom. There's a lot of death in the millennial kingdom. And that's uh, part of the clues we do when we separate the millennium from the fullness of time because there's no more death in the fullness of time. But the millennium's got a lot of death. All right, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. What a delight that you can have fellowship with believers in your home. I tell you, all four of my children are born again believers in Jesus Christ. That makes a huge difference. And uh, there you have it. Psalm 140, verse 13. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. So these are all the dwelling terms and the lodging terms. Believe it or not, the one that we have today in Proverbs 15 is a word for short-term lodging. It's not a term for long-term dwelling. And so even short-term lodging, you still are going to have discernment in where you stay and the kind of places you will, uh, you will uh, sleep and, and, and live, even if it's a short time, just on a weekend or, 
a short lodging basis. That's Proverbs 15, 31. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will lodge, will lodge among the wise. Uh, Genesis 24, verses 23 and 25, centers on lodging. This is the bride for Isaac. And uh, Abraham's not going to allow Isaac to marry one of these Canaanite women. I think uh, Ishmael, of course, uh, was not the son of promise and he did not marry smartly. But um, And then the same thing happens again in the next generation with Jacob and Esau. There's uh, unhappiness over Esau's uh, wedding choices. So anyway, Abraham assigns his servant to to find this bride. And so he travels. And in the process of this, he's praying hard that God would guide his steps. This is a, a neat illustration for divine guidance, by the way, if you're trying to determine whether you should go to Wisconsin or not, that kind of thing. You can uh, use this as a pattern to pray over um, asking God to uh, to make the circumstances clear. And uh, so he does. And as he's approaching, he's praying and he he, uh, he asked the Lord to arrange the circumstances, and sure enough, those circumstances worked out. And uh, I like some of these. So if you back up even to verse 12, O Lord, the God of my master Abram, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to uh, my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. May it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jars so that I may drink, and who answers, drink and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. That is a tremendous statement of faith right there. Leaving your circumstances completely in God's hands and uh, allowing Him to provide or not provide as He sees fit. And so this is how God brings Rebecca out and uh, He knows that His uh, prayers have been answered. So um, Verse 21, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. And so uh, he asked her, whose daughter are you? Tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? So he's making the choice of where to lodge based upon his discernment that this is a woman of character. This is a woman that's had biblical teaching. So she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Aha, bingo. This is... uh, a part of Abraham's clan, okay? And so he chooses to dwell here. And um, so verse 25, again she said to him, we have plenty of uh, both straw and, f- and feed to ro- and room to lodge in. That's, the, ba- that's the, the term there. So he bows down to worship the Lord and takes it from there. All right, so that's Genesis. We also have Ruth who decided that being a, a Moabite was uh, not too smart. Now you can't, uh, of course, you can't control where you're born or what you are, but um, when an opportunity presents itself to get doctrine and to uh, escape from uh, paganism, Ruth, uh, Ruth was jumping at it. <laughs> so uh, this is all the background here, of course. You have Elimelech and his wife Naomi, the two boys. And uh, the background for this 
this guy from Judah, from Bethlehem in Judah. What a coincidence. Bethlehem in Judah. But there's a famine, so what's he going to do? He's going to go live in a pagan land. And uh, no indication that he was prayerful about it, no indication that he was in the will of God. Um, but he, he does what he's going to do. So he goes to this land, and now his boys are going to marry these pagan women. And, uh, and then the boys die, and he dies. And so, you know, I, I, I doesn't explicitly say this, but I would infer that, uh, that he was out of the will of God, that he was under the sentence of death, that it was wrong uh, to, uh, instead of trusting in the Lord by faith in a time of famine, he decided to uh, do what he was going to do and solve his own problems and, and uh, resort to Moabites to get it done. Well, in the process though, God's grace in action, uh, like providing Jethro for Moses when he was running from Pharaoh, here's, uh, here's Elimelech and God has Ruth ready to go. A girl that's positive to God consciousness and positive to gospel hearing. A girl that's going to end up being in the line of Christ. And so uh, she says this here, verse 16 is the main, the main verse. When uh, Naomi is going to go back to Judah, she encourages the Moabite daughters-in-law to, uh, to stay here in Moab. Uh, and, and Orpah was just fine. I mean, she didn't, yeah, she was fine staying in, in Moab. But Ruth was not. Ruth said, uh, do not urge me and, and, uh, to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And she recognizes that the teaching of the Word of God is the priority. And having a relationship with the people of God is better than uh, not having a relationship with the people of God and living like a Moabitess in, uh, in Moab. That was a terrible circumstance. All right, finally then, 1 Kings 19.9. 1 Kings 19.9. This one is the most obscure and part of the scriptures we're not as familiar with. Oh, no, no. This one's uh, very well known. I was thinking of something else. Elijah came to a cave and lodged there. And it's curious... The, uh, he's running from Jezebel and you have all of this and um, he has the, the tremendous victory over the 400 prophets of Baal and then he is terrified of the one queen of, of Israel, Jezebel. And so he uh, takes off and he runs and, and uh, in spite of his darkness, God's very faithful and he keeps uh, blessing him. So like in verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, requested for himself that he might die. Quite a few Old Testament characters attempted suicide or wanted to die, and uh, God wouldn't let him. So here comes an angel, touches him, provides food, <coughs> and uh, wakes up and finds a thing of bread ready to go for him. Then uh, anyway, he rose, he ate, he drank. He went on the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he came there to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So you're lodging here. Is there teaching here? What are you doing here? Well, in Elijah's case, even though he was running, the word of God chased him. And I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then... Uh, 
the pity party. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. That's not true. That's not true. And he should know better. I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now I think there's a lot of symbolism in this. I think there's a a message in this. Because he's chosen where to dwell. And what's the uh, access to doctrine in in a place like that? Yeah, well, it's going to come, but it's going to come through some hardship. It's going to come, it doesn't come right away. And uh, so he goes forth, he stands on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind was raining the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Okay? Well, why does he have to go through that? Wouldn't it be easier to hear the voice of the Lord without all that wind? Well, look where he is. Look where he put himself. The consequences of running the way that he ran. And uh, so what do you do? Do you just give up? Say, well, no message there. Let me go find somewhere else to go. No, he waits. He endures. He accepts his discipline. And he, uh, well, maybe the Lord will be in the next thing. No, he's not in the next thing either. The Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. How long do you got to wait to hear the word of God and to hear doctrine? After the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So when is the word going to come? And why do I have to endure these things? So I'm going through the consequences of my own running from his presence and not listening. Now I want to listen. I want to listen. But he's not coming right away. There's a delay as I'm trying to listen. And then comes the still small voice. So um, after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Then Elijah heard it. When he heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Can we go through this again? And the same pity party in verse 14. I alone am left. Man, come on, Elijah. Figure it out. All right, so that's the eagerness to hear God's wisdom generating divine guidance as to dwelling and lodging. Verse uh, 32 and 33. He who neglects, back to Proverbs 15 now, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. This is point G then. If you are eager to hear the truth, then be prepared for the truth to reprove you. If you are eager to hear the truth and be prepared for the truth to reprove you. This is a great follow-up to verse 31. You're willing to, uh, you have the e- eager ear, you're willing to listen to the life-giving reproof. Now, what are you going to do with that reproof? What are you going to do with that discipline? Are you going to respond to it or are you going to neglect it? Because you've heard it, you've heard the reproof, you've, uh, you know the discipline for what it is. So do you you engage it or do you neglect it? He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to the reproof acquires understanding. And so we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared because it's not, uh, the doctrine, the Word of God is not just this light and fluffy thing where everything's all happy and everything makes you feel better. It's not all just um, moralistic therapeutic deism. There are some things that hurt. 
And you need to hurt. You need to learn these lessons. You need to accept the tough uh, doctrines from the Word of God. I think in Acts 20, verse 20 and 27, you know, there are, there are concepts that a faithless shepherd would shrink away from preaching. And he would shrink away because it's difficult to, to speak something that the hearers don't want to listen to. And, uh, and yet, if you're faithful to the Lord, you're going to deliver it anyway. That's what Paul said. His, he was all about in Acts 20.20. 20. He said, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And that's where I usually contrast that the word is not popular, the word is profitable. It's a different P word. People want popular, and uh, Paul said, no, no, I give you what's profitable. And what's profitable is going to be difficult. And uh, as he says, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which came upon me through plots of the Jews. So do you back down when things get rough? How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house. Down to verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. All of it, 1,189 chapters, 33,410 verses, whatever that is, I'm probably wrong on the number. Something in that ballpark. Uh, Over 30,000 verses, 1,189 chapters. Line by line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little, every jot and tittle. If you duck it because you think it's going to offend somebody, well, it's doctrine. Teach it, be faithful. So uh, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Because if I avoid something, then that blood's on my hands. Because uh, I'd be setting up my sheep for for a fall. But if I preach against it, then the blood's on your hands because you heard and you should have known better. So that's on you. 2 Timothy 4.2 I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. Right? Isn't this the ordination passage? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and by His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with not just great patience and instruction. The adjective there actually is all. All patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So you can't be an ear tickler. And uh, there you have it. Do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to have your ears tickled? Every believer's got to make that choice. If, if you're going to stick it, if you're going to stick it out in a, in a flock like this, you're going to hear some rough stuff, and it's going to get convicting, and you're going to be reminded, yeah, you know what? I'm a sinner. I need to get rid of that. I need to grow. I need to get past this this issue. If you're not humble for teaching, then you know, you're okay as long as other people's getting picked on. <laughs> Until your sin comes along and then, ooh, Pastor Bob, he quit preaching, he done started middling. That's when you decide, I need to, need to change churches, change pastors, change, you know, I'm not going to change my thinking or change my sin. Now, humble community is an ideal setting for disciplined reproof. And again, I think this is another indicator that all of these verses are centered on a, on a household or on a family context related to uh, a humble community whereby we can discipline one another. Even the term for discipline, the Hebrew musar, which the Word of God does, that's a child-raising term. 
A musar is a term for discipline. If you're not disciplining your child, you're not raising your child biblically. And so uh, to parents are to raise up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's discipline in Ephesians 6.4. Uh, the discipline that comes here in Proverbs 15.32, which is our verse, Proverbs 22.6, it's discipline from the Word of God. And this is what uh, parents are expected to do. And guess what? It doesn't stop, even though we've gone from the parental wisdom portion of the book to the personal and public wisdom portion of the book, there's still the daily discipline from the Word of God. (laughs) Anytime a child crosses a magic number, you know, ooh, I'm 18 now. I'm a legal adult. I'm an adult now. So? Well, okay. I grant that, yes. And, And your point is, you're still accountable for the Lord. In fact, you're more accountable as unto the Lord. Are you living the Word of God? Are you making choices based on His norms and standards? And that, uh, that doesn't stop. Alright, 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old he will not depart from it. And that's our term. That's the, uh, that's the disciplined reproof. If you neglect it, it's at your peril. If you uh, don't neglect it, if you embrace it and, and accept it and, and are trained by it, it's to your benefit, it's to your blessing. Every head of the household ought to consider this. Genesis 18, 19. The rhetorical question starts in verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He just had fellowship with Abraham in the tent. Uh, Abraham ran in and got Sarah to fix dinner real quick. They had fellowship, the Lord and two angels and Abraham. Sarah laughed. All right. (coughs) Then uh, dinner's over and the men head off to Sodom to destroy it. And the Lord and Abraham are watching over. And the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's Abrahamic covenant, the promises to Abraham. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him. Notice this. The spiritual leadership in the home. So that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And so this is the discipline the discipline reproof in the Word of God and the role that the husband has, the father has. And the wife, of course, she's the helpmate. She is corresponding to him that, uh, that she will have an assisting role with the husband and the father in terms of uh, training up the children. But it's specifically stated here to be the man in this context. Deuteronomy 6-7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
Now, sons can, of course, include daughters. We're not leaving the women out. But here's the priority. The men are the teachers. The men are shepherding their wives. The fathers are training up their sons. When you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so you decide, do I want to live in a, you know, what kind of uh, state do I want to, what kind of country should I be living in? What kind of state do I want to live in? What kind of city do I want to live in? What kind of neighborhood do I want to live in? Do I want to surround myself with those that fear the Lord? And then even within my own house, is this a house where the the name of the Lord is named? Is this a house where He's praised? Is this a house uh, where we honor one another? All right, that's Deuteronomy 6, 7. Then as I said, Ephesians 6, 4. Quickly, 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 quickly. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. This is a recap from Proverbs, just given to the church age. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that's Proverbs in the, in the church age for our application. Finally then, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15 ends with the fear of the Lord. It motivates present humility for future exaltation. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Before honor comes humility. The fear of the Lord motivates present humility for future exaltation. Satan, of course, in the worldly wisdom is just the opposite. Present humility for future exaltation. The philosophy of this world is exalt me now, celebrate me now. It's all about me. I need to be glorified now. And I think what drives so much of social media is just the, the, uh, the, the self-centeredness on me. Hey, everybody, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Aren't I great? And so uh, the idea of humility, the idea of waiting for honor. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to wait. I want honor now. No, before honor comes Humility. And what we learn is that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time, 1 Peter 5, 6. And when is the proper time? How about the judgment seat of Christ? <laughs> when, uh, wouldn't it be better? Because by then, of course, our body of sin is done away. By then, of course, carnality is over. Uh, we can handle exaltation and glory at that point when we're sinless and conformed to the image of Christ. Prior to that, while we're still in this fallen body, while we still have sin natures, while we still have vulnerability to pride and these other things, uh, let's, uh, prior to that, let's be very, very cautious on how much uh, honoring and praise and, and so forth. It's the, the prosperity test is a tough test to, to pass. So let's try to keep that. There's not many mighty, not many honorable, not many. Let's just uh, let's ease up a bit on that while we can. So Proverbs 15, 33, and, and that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and it is the instruction for wisdom. It is the, uh, think of it as, um, you know, in, in, when you're trying to register for a college class and you find out, oh, I don't qualify because there's a prerequisite. You can't take this class until you've had this other class. Well, think of fear of the Lord as the prerequisite. 
It's the prerequisite for living in the Word of God, for the study and the growth that comes in, in uh, the instruction of wisdom. So if you don't fear the Lord, you could maybe academically learn a, a thing or two, but that's the knowledge without love. That's the knowledge that puffs up. It's not the love that edifies. And uh, the fear of the Lord has got to start there. 18.12 Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. This is pride goes before a fall, right? This is the, the concept behind this. So we should maintain that humility. And it's in the home, what a what a ideal venue for nurturing this and teaching this. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of great men. Isn't that embarrassing? You're claiming to be a great, a great hero. You're claiming to be a great such and such. You're claiming to be this or that. And then unbeknownst to you, the guy you're making this boast to is actually better than you. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm sorry, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, it'd be like, I don't know, I'm going to run out of time if I keep rambling, but um, <laughs> like, uh, well, I met a guy in one of my very first Scrabble tournaments in Dallas, and he, he told me his name, and then he acted all offended because I didn't recognize the name. I'm like, okay. So he told me his name, I shook his hand, I told him my name, figured that was normal. And then, uh, but I, I totally missed the point of, of how I should have reacted hearing, oh, ooh, that, that's you? This is the great, I won't say the name, but this is the, you know, so he was offended that I didn't recognize the name. Oh, okay. Now I know who he is. And, and yes, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's up there. He's a great player. Um. For it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. You know, Jesus preached this. He adapted this very proverb when he taught his own parable about, you know, going up and taking that chief seat, and then the, the master at the dinner table says, no, no, go, go over there and sit at the kitty table. That uh, comes out of this proverb right here. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. A humble spirit will obtain honor. So there is honor. God has designed His plan to honor, to give honor to whom honor is due. Starting first of all with Jesus Christ, and then for us, how do we honor Jesus Christ? The more we honor our Lord, the more we will be honored in all eternity. James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6 and you know these already. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Right, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, if there's distance there, that's on you, that's not on God. You're the one that needs to be cleansed and forgiven. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, talking about shepherds, elders, overseers. Don't, in verse 3, don't be lording it over those allotted to your charge. That's the phrase, allotted to your charge. You don't deserve the flock you have. You think you deserve a bigger flock? You don't deserve the, the, the one you got. 
<laughs> okay? Just stay faithful with the sheep that have been assigned to you. Proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the example of humility. You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. And quit worrying about it. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Proverbs. I thank You for Proverbs 15. And uh, look forward to Proverbs 16, Father. And continuing on, uh, this has been a, a book study unlike any I've ever done before, but it's, uh, it continues to pour forth uh, grace upon grace, so I thank you for it. Give you the praise and glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.